This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 447 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, October 2nd. 2022. Welcome to Q4, gentlemen. We are here. It is almost basketball season. Uh, ACC football season has begun uh, for the Duke Blue Devils. They are now 1-0 in the ACC. We will get to Duke's victory over Virginia in the homecoming game from yesterday. But before we get there, we have introductions to do, and we have a bit of basketball video to talk about. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason, I think it's been a minute since I actually saw you on video. So how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. Yeah, thanks, guys, for picking up for me over the past several days when I was out in Los Angeles. I was visiting with some family. I have a son out there. I've got a brother and all the... uh, Sam will know this word. I have a lot of mishpaka out in uh, Los Angeles. That's a little bit of Yiddish for uh, those of you who don't speak it. (laughs) That was not a curse word. Jason, your your pronunciation is is good. It's not great. I, you know, I'm I'm not a Yiddish speaker. I just know the appropriate words <laughs> for folks a, who don't not, understand. Not a, not a native Yiddish speaker. No, <laughs> Mish, mishpaka is uh is like extended family. It's like family, family kind of stuff. So anyway, I have cousins and all kinds of stuff out there. So I spent a few days out there, and I appreciate you guys chatting about Duke without me for a couple of days, but. I, I did provide you with that Riley Leonard interview, and oh man, did Riley look good in the football game yesterday? Yeah, so thank you for for conducting the interview for us and and giving us all that great content to react to. And yeah, and and now we have we have more good football to talk about. So the other guy who's here is Donald Wine, of course. Donald, I have seen you recently, so uh, you're not as exciting, but it is always great to see your face on a Sunday morning. I, I try to be exciting, uh, but on Sunday morning is very difficult. I did get to sleep in. Uh, I am going to Europe this week, so um, I'll have some live stuff on the uh, soccer side uh, to watch. But I, I just want to say uh, as a teaser, uh, Sam, you mentioned Q4. That was very fuqua of you to say welcome to Q4, uh, which is a nice little teaser for one of the videos that we're going to discuss. Ooh, very good. Very good. I like that. Uh, Donald, so as you mentioned, videos to dissect. We have a couple videos to talk about today. Uh, Some of them were put out by the basketball team. One of them was sent to us by a listener who was able to attend the uh, somewhat open scrimmage that that the basketball team had a few days ago. So it was, uh, Sam, to be clear, it was a, a fundraiser that the team does every year for Duke Children's Hospital. And if you make an appropriate donation. They allow you to come in. Uh, they 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 entertain some of the kids and people who work for Duke Children's as they sh- and a wonderful wonderful thing that the basketball team and the athletic department does this. But if you make a donation in addition to those kids, they have some fans who come in and get to watch a a practice a scrimmage. And we were given access to a video, and wow, it is incredibly revealing. And and the great thing is, you know, this isn't like a secret thing that happens. Like Duke has you know, done posts about the the Duke Children's Hospital part, like the entertaining of the kids and like some of the interactions that they had with the team. Uh, so that part is things that you can go to Duke's men's basketball social media and watch. What we're going to discuss, at least uh, in the short term, is stuff that is not on there that was given to us, as Jason said, by one of our listeners. And we will also get, right before we get into the, the details of that, we will also talk about 
the two most recent Duke Blue Planet videos that came out. One was Duke Blue Planet episode one for the 22-23 season, and the other was a profile on Tyrese Proctor, uh, Duke's newest Australian member of the basketball team. But let's talk about the the scrimmage footage, Jason, that we saw. And I know you were able to um, to kind of go through it in detail. What are some of the the highlights from that video that, that you saw, particularly relative to expectations coming into the season? You know, we, we we've talked a lot about how we expect Jeremy Roach to have the ball in his hands a lot this season. We know that Dariq Whitehead is still hurt. So, so we haven't gotten a good look at him. We know that Derek Lively is expected to be the best defensive player on this team and, and fill the very large shoes that Mark Williams has, uh, has uh, left for him. So what are some of the standout moments that you saw from this footage? Well, so the first thing we should say about it is this is the, the most sort of unfiltered and honest look that we've gotten at, at this team uh, by, by a long shot. I mean, nothing else comes close. This was more than 20 minutes of scrimmage footage that was provided to us by a, by a listener. Um, and it, 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 frankly, I, I think, I think I learned as much from this as we'll learn from anything up until the team starts playing games on television. It, it really was to me quite revealing. I, I, I should note the team didn't seem to be playing um, a really creative offense. It was a very, very basic offense. Um, I didn't see them do anything but play man-to-man defense. I wonder if it's possible that part of that is they're very early in practice, even though they practice some over the summer. Uh, you know, official NCAA practice time is only been going on for like a week or so and so you know they they're probably not yet into you know doing heavy plays and lots of motion offense um with you know w- with sophisticated wrinkles to it yet they're not yet into pressing or or playing any zone you know stuff that requires uh, a, a lot more communication and planning um so and and it that may be part of it but the other thing may be coach shire he knew that there were fans in the stands he knew that this was while not completely public, at least partially public. And so uh, he may not have had the team reveal too much. It felt a little bit more like a very loose scrimmage among some guys who are friends versus teammates who knew exactly where everybody else was going to be going. Jason, I wouldn't be surprised if the offense this year is a little bit less complicated than it's been in years past. Despite all the talent that Duke has brought in this fall, the, the new guys that are coming in, I don't think anyone rises to the level of Apollo Bancaro or or some of the other really talented offensive players that Duke's had in, in recent seasons. There is no R.J. Barrett on this team. So we saw a lot of like Jeremy Roach initiating fairly basic offensive sets. And to the point of Jeremy Roach is going to have the ball in his hands a lot this season. I think no matter who he's on the court with, that's going to be a lot of what we're seeing. And and maybe that's a place to start because I, I feel like between that and some of the footage that, that we'll also get to from the Duke Blue Planet side, uh, one of the exciting things for me is how much I feel like Jeremy Roach is going to take a big leap this year, being a leader on the team, having the ball in his hands even more than he did last year, and being the initiator and, in some cases, the finisher. So so for me, I, I think the one thing about the offense, that's okay, right? Because we've seen in previous years where – we start with kind of a basic offense and then the team decides to add some complexity to it as the year goes along. And they, you know, kind of get those, you know, it's kind of like, you know, remember the Titans, right? Where he kind of said, look, we're just going to have six plays and they ran those six plays. And then they started adding a little bit of complexity as the year went on and guys start to gel together. So you will see that as the year goes on, that some of these, you know, basic offensive sets are going to have some intricacies woven into it. But I think the one thing, and Jason, I'll kick it back to you because, you know, I think with Jeremy Roach being the point guard and kind of the guy, the leader, the one thing that I saw about this this footage is that this team is going to be shooting the three a lot, which is something that you talked about wanting to see more of as we went along into the John Shire era. This team looks like, I mean, it seemed like, you know, two out of every three possessions ended up with someone taking a three-point attempt. And I think... That may excite Duke fans a lot because, again, if we're going to hit those threes, we're going to get out to incredible leads very quickly or at least be able to keep pace with any team in college basketball. Yeah, Donald, you hit on it. My two biggest takeaways, I think, right from the get-go was this team, shot, at least in the scrimmage, 
shot a ton of three pointers. A little bit of it felt like it was settling for like the first available three. We're going to go ahead and take that. Um, and, and I'm not sure I want that to be the profile of the of the team. Uh, but then the other thing was, you as you guys mentioned, Jeremy Roach, uh, I, I think was clearly the leading scorer in the scrimmage. That's also because he was the leading shooter. He he shot a lot, and and look, he is absolutely capable of scoring from anywhere on the floor. I mean, we saw him taking three pointers off the pass, off the dribble, you know, pull up three pointers. We saw him doing a lot of driving into the lane and taking that that pull up, you know, ten to to six, sixteen footer, which he's really he's gotten really really good at it. And he also takes the ball to the hole and and is very good, you know, you know, inside of five feet finishing around the rim. But he shot a lot. Um, in, in fact, I I I probably saw him looking for his own shot more than looking for the pass a little bit more than I'd like. Again, that maybe that it's just early and that he's still getting to know where these guys are going to be and the such. Um, but, I mean, Jeremy Roach hit far less than 50% of the shots he took in this video. Um, and, and look, I, he doesn't have to be a guy who's going to hit 55. You know, he, he's a guard. He's not going to hit 55, 60 plus percent of his shots. But he was down around, I think he probably was down around, you know, 33% or so. I'd like him to be a little bit higher than that. Uh, and, and and the other thing to note about anything that we're going to note about the offense is without Dariq Whitehead, it, it's a whole different team, I think. As Sam noted, and this is one of the biggest takeaways, there's no one on this team that is Apollo Bancaro. There's no one that's a Marvin Bagley. There's no one that's a Zion Williamson. There are some very, very talented ballplayers on this team. And it's probably one of the, if not the deepest, Duke teams that we've seen in a decade or at least. But it is not a team that has a guy who goes, oh, that guy's going to be in, uh, you know, uh, uh, until I see Dreek Whitehead, it's not a team that has a guy who's going to be in contention for ACC Player of the Year. Jason, that being said, can we talk about the defensive side where it's not just Derek Lively who's out there. There are a lot of experienced players who are coming onto this team, big experienced players who are going to play Amazing defense this season for Duke. I can't tell yet exactly how fast the team is going to play. Some of that depends on the way that these weapons develop around Jeremy Roach. But whatever speed it is, I feel pretty confident that Duke is going to be a much stronger defensive team this season than we've seen in recent years. I I was very impressed with the defense because I didn't see anyone who was getting lost. I didn't see anyone who looked like they couldn't stay in front of their man. I mean, for a lot of the practice, um, Jaden Shute was guarding Tyrese Proctor. I would have thought that Tyrese Proctor would kind of carve up Jaden Shute. He did not. For a lot of the practice, uh, Kyle Filipowski was guarding Mark Mitchell. I would have thought that Mark Mitchell's length and athleticism would be tough for Kyle Filipowski. I thought Filipowski held his own very, very nicely there. And I, I just didn't see – there was no one on this team that looked to me like they were a defensive liability. Um, and there was tons of length on display. Sam, to me, that was the thing that stuck out on on defense. I mean, yeah, it's lively. And lively had a couple blocks that were just disgusting block shots. Uh, but but Mark Mitchell, I think, just looks super active and super long. I mean, Mark Mitchell, I, one of the things that struck me about Mark Mitchell was he would take one or two strides and I'd be like, did, did he just take eight steps? Dude <laughs> just has like one of the longest steps that I've seen in quite a while. And we're and, talking defensive steps, which are much shorter yeah. than like you running, you know, from A to B. Lateral movement is a very, you know, you're not going very fast with that. So if you are able to keep in front of someone, that shows how fast that he can be and how quick he can be. Yeah. So I was I was super impressed with the defense. And I was, you know, and I, I broke down a whole bunch of different players, literally everybody who played. And I don't know that we have time or if, if it makes sense to to get into all of them. But Mark Mitchell, I was just mentioning, I thought Mark Mitchell was among the most impressive players I saw, just in terms of what my expectations, I think, had been. And I think a lot of that was his athleticism and his length. And he had a couple really nice passes. He had a he had a gorgeous pass at one point where the defense was all around him and he found Jalen Blakes, who was cutting to the basket. I was just like, man, that's it's advanced stuff considering it's so early on. You guys take it for a minute, though. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to Jaden Shute and Kyle Filipowski because I think both of them look noticeably stronger and more like a little bit wider. Um, and I think that it goes to deal with, you know, what you were talking about on defense where it didn't feel like people could get around them. Like they, they're a little bit stronger now that offseason, 
you know, that summer workout training, they've really taken hold to that because it, it feels like that they're a guy, they're both guys that, you know, guys aren't going to be able to work their way around. And so I think that also helps add to the depth of this offense and defense where you guys, we have guys that can start, come off the bench, whatever, and still be able to be, you know, noticeably strong on the ball and when they're guarding the ball, which I think is great. So uh, the one thing about Mark Mitchell, I'll say is even if he doesn't start, right? Like we've talked debate about whether he starts. It sounds like he's not going to, um, but if he doesn't start, he has that opportunity. If he can be like the Vinnie Johnson microwave type of a guy in offense, his defense is going to keep him on the floor. I saw a lot of that. And I think we see, we even saw that in the, the raw uncut footage that we got from Duke back in the summertime that he's a guy that w- with his defense, he can stay on the floor. It's just about whether or not he can able to convert that in offense. He'll be great. Guys. One of the most notable things that I found from this video uh, and something that we've been speculating about this summer, both as we've heard about the injuries to Derek Whitehead, but also uh, as, as other guys have sort of joined the team from, uh, from other places one of the questions has been who's the starting lineup for this season. And and I think we really had Jeremy Roach, Kyle Filipowski, Derek Lively, and Dariq Whitehead penciled in as long as Whitehead is healthy enough to start and play significant minutes. Um, but we've been wondering sort of among the other guard, smaller forward type guys, which one is going to step in. We talked about Mark Mitchell. Um, we've talked about Tyrese Proctor. We, uh, I don't know how much we've mentioned Jacob Grandison yet. Grandison and, and Proctor appeared to be playing the most with the other, you know, with the the Roach Filipowski lively group. So it seems like the two of them are probably in the starting lineup and maybe one of them moves out when Whitehead comes back. But I think that that's where a lot of the speculation was, at least from us early on, because, you know, if John Shire is going to play his roster any way that, you know, similar to the way Coach K did, then the starters are the guys who also get the bulk of the minutes. I'm not surprised, I guess, that that Proctor and Grandison are the are the two guys who are most in competition for that. And really the question is uh, for, for coach Shire, uh, do you want Grandison's experience or Proctor's explosiveness as the, as the, the final piece to that starting lineup? Yeah. Hey, and Sam, if I can, um, uh, seeing as we're mentioning so many different players, I'm going to go ahead and do something where uh, like, like I said, I've got notes on every single guy on the team who played um, and I'm going to, you know, just sort of the top nine, the guys who, the top eight or nine, the guys who really feel like they are the most likely to get significant playing time during the season. Let me give you a quick note on each and every one of them. I'll start with Tyrese Proctor because you mentioned him. Um, he he had a really sweet step back three pointer. Uh, he was a just a nifty passer. He was a guy who. So what I noticed was when he passed, he was looking for the second man, not the guy who's closest to him, but like the skip pass, and and that was to me part of showing how much he's played with professionals. Like he understands when you move the ball, you need to really move it so that it gets someplace that makes the defense adjust. Um, And he ran, by the way, late in the scrimmage video, we saw he was running the point a lot with Jeremy Roach moving off the ball. I thought Tyrus Proctor looked as good as just about anybody on the team in this video. And uh, folks, one thing to be on the lookout with him, he has like a jab step step back shot that he loves to take i saw him do this like three times in the video where he looks like he's about to go downhill on you and then instead he steps back and takes a a short you know a jumper or a three-pointer it seems like that's his go-to move he looked really great at that i love tyrese proctor in this um we already talked about jeremy roach so i'm not going to get much more into him uh jaden shoot as advertised super quick release on his shot it's worth noting he missed his first four three-pointers before finally knocking one down. But on the very next possession, he went up and faked a three-pointer and made a really nice driving layup. So he he's showing me, Jaden Shute, that he's more than just a shooter. And Jayden by the way, way Jason, yeah. on, on Jaden Shute, we should also keep in mind that John Shire, I think, is going to trust him taking shots. Like, that was the whole reason yeah. for him coming to Duke. And I would not be surprised if the conversation during that scrimmage or, or even afterwards from Shire is like, you know what, Jaden? If you have those open shots, you take them because this is how you're going to develop is just being confident enough to to keep at it. Steph Curry has days where he misses his first four shots. He keeps on shooting. I don't think that Jaden he hits shoots, his next 12. Like. Yeah, I don't think that Jaden <laughs> shoot is Steph Curry, but but the, the, there's no reason why he shouldn't have that mentality on this team. And look, 
knowing that he's not one of those starters and knowing that a lot of those starters are similarly sized to Jaden Shoot, I'm not going to bet on him playing more than 15 minutes a game this season. So when he comes off the bench, he has to start shooting the basketball. I also think it's good for him to develop something else, as Jason mentioned, for this reason. You don't want guys to come in when he comes into the game for the other team to go, well, that guy's not leaving, uh, coming inside the three-point line ever, right? And then they're going to guard him as such. If he has that one thing where he can kind of jump in and, and go to the lane, that just relaxes the defense just enough that the next time, again, a shooter's mentality, if you miss your first five, there's a 100% chance you're shooting the next one. And it might go in. And that's for him. He's going to have that confidence in the green light, essentially, to go, hey, when you're open, take it because it's part of the offense and that's what you're here to do. All right, so let, let me continue my quick takes on each one of these guys. Jacob Grandison missed his first two three-pointers before knocking one down. Um, I, I really thought Jacob was really only looking mostly to be a release valve. He seems like one of these guys who's going to be solid but not spectacular at anything. He's not going to lose you any games, but he's not really going to win you any games either. Really nice complimentary player, but not someone who's going to put up big stats in, in the um, – you know, on the stat sheet, in my opinion. We already mentioned Mark Mitchell. My note on him is, God, he's long. It's just everything about him. When you look at him, he's so long. Um, uh, and and I, I did want to note, as I mentioned earlier, I thought his passing was better than I expected it to be. He had a really nice dish to Derek Lively for a, for a dunk. And by the way, Mark Mitchell knocked down a three-pointer. Speaking of three-pointers, on the very first possession by the blue team, the, the sort of subs, Ryan Young took a three-pointer. I was like, coming out of the gate, Ryan Young, first thing, shooting a three pointer. I was like, what? I, I was are we shocked. gonna have? Are we gonna have one of those? Uh, I, you know, those videos that we did, uh, that they did when Marshall Plumley hit his one three of his career. <laughs> um, because if so, I'm, I'm ready for it. Uh, no, no, just go ahead, and make it, and then retire. The fact that Ryan Young did that again, very first possession for the blue team, he seemed confident in it. Um, I, I think that that's something that's in his arsenal. I think that's something that it wasn't like, like you saw his teammates weren't like, what they were, they were like, yeah, the, Ryan's capable of doing this. So I think, you know, I don't want to give an over under kind of number, but if Ryan young hits four or five, three pointers this year, I won't be completely shocked at it. Let me, let me just run through, uh, Ryan young's career three point shooting stats at Northwestern, uh, his fresh or his first season at Northwestern, he was three for 21 from beyond the arc. Uh, last season, he was one for two or sorry, two seasons ago, he was one for two. And then his most recent season, he was one for six. So uh, it's not quite Marshall Plumley level where he never took one and then just took one and made it. Uh, but would still be miraculous, Jason, if he made five three pointers this season. That being said, uh, just generally great presence from Ryan Young. And I think we expected this. Right. But of especially because Duke has so many transfers that came in. Uh, and, and graduate guys, and we'll we'll talk about uh, all the guys that are now uh, Fuqua students, but Ryan Young's the one who is most likely to have a major impact on this team. I don't think Derek Lively is is likely to play 35 minutes a night for a variety of reasons, and Ryan Young is going to be able to step in, body guys around, and, and make it difficult at both ends of the floor for other teams to execute the way they want. He didn't just have a great presence. He had a calm presence. And in a team of youth, sometimes calm is all you need. And and look, by the way, good luck stopping Ryan Young. And we talked about the three-pointer, but good luck stopping him inside of five feet. He has great moves around the basket and, and is really difficult to, to defend. I mean, it was hard for him at times because Derek Lively is, I think, 7-1 <laughs> with impossibly long arms. And gets off the ground phenomenally fast. And Derek Lively had at least one just nasty, nasty block on Ryan Young. But most teams aren't going to have a Derek Lively in the post. And I think Ryan Young is going to succeed wildly against teams like that. Speaking of Derek Lively, like I said, he had, I call them an ugly, it's an ugly block. Because when you see it, you make an ugly face. You go, ew, you know, um, and, and he had a couple of those. Lively, you know, just to me is such a he's going to be such a great rim protector. It's worth noting by the way that Duke was not looking at all to get Dark Lively the ball in the post. In fact, the the white team, the starters were mostly playing five out on offense. Lively was roaming around the perimeter 
he didn't shoot any three-pointers. I don't recall him shooting any three-pointers, but he was roaming around the perimeter, setting lots of screens and stuff and trying to then roll to the basket. But they were not looking to get him the ball in the post ever, as far as I could tell. And that's going to be an interesting thing to, to see if it develops for Duke. And then the last guy I want to talk about, guys, before we move on, we haven't mentioned Kyle Filipowski much at all. He was really quiet the first you know half of this scrimmage video that we have barely did anything other than you know screening a little bit making a couple handoff kind of passes and then suddenly he had like this really athletic finish in the lane and then he knocks down the three-pointer and then he makes a couple really nice passes you know he's super comfortable with the ball in his hands um he had an offensive rebound pick back put back he knocked down another three-pointer i was like kyle filipowski might be the guy that like for 15 minutes you don't even notice he's on the floor and then suddenly puts up 10 points in three minutes with three more assists He's capable of dominating, and I just want to see him get a little more aggressive and actually do it. But that so that was my notes on everybody. I can I ask before we move on to other videos, who did you guys think was the most impressive player in all of this stuff? Because I'm kind of tempted to say the Kyle Filipowski I saw the second half of the video might have been the most impressive player on that Duke team. Uh, I was gonna go with Mark Mitchell. Um, just again, because I think he can be that Swiss Army knife that a team desperately needs, right? He can do just about anything. And like I, and like you said, um, it seems like a lot of stuff has also improved over the summer, namely his passing. So, uh, and his defense, like I mentioned, is going to keep him on the floor um, for large stretches of the game because he's very good on defense. So yeah, I thought he was the most impressive, but it, again, this kind of was a sloppy affair at times because probably because it's the first time they've played in front of, although not a lot of turnovers. Not, not, it was sloppy, not a lot of turnover, but just like, just, you know, sloppy from missing shots, not from turning the ball. Correct. Yeah. But again, this is raw. This is very raw footage in front of people. It's probably the first time they've played outside uh, within anyone outside of their unit, right? Like, it's the first time they let people walk in to watch this. So, yeah, naturally, there are a lot of guys were probably going to try and level up the the show, so to speak. And it turned sloppy in the sense of there's a lot of missed shots. But I do think this team is gelling together. And they're, it seems like they're way ahead of schedule, even with some key pieces out or just having joined the team. Hey, hey Sam, do me a favor. Tell me that you thought the most impressive guy was Tyrese Proctor, because I thought it was either Flip, Mitchell, or Proctor. So if you say Proctor, we'll, we'll cover all three bases. I liked Proctor. I was going to mention that I was uh, pleasantly surprised by how well Jalen Blakes held his own in this scrimmage. And so, you know, of course, we can talk about the guys who are going to get a lot of minutes. I don't know that Jalen Blakes is getting a lot of minutes on this team this season, but uh, it, it was it was, you know, at least somewhat uh, reassuring to see him one guarding Jeremy Roach and then two uh, initiating some offense. So it seems like he's he's sort of firmly the backup point guard. Hopefully Roach is playing, you know, most minutes this season. But it does make me feel good that if there is anything wrong with Jeremy Roach, that Jalen Blakes hopefully can step in a bit. I got to tell you, Sam, I, I think Tyrese Proctor is the backup point guard. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see how things develop. I love Jalen Blakes. I love hey, him, but I think Proctor's the backup point guard. Let's spend a few minutes on the fun videos. So as we mentioned at the top, two fun videos from Duke Blue Planet this week. One, uh, mostly focusing on freshman move-in. Uh, has a lot of scenes that may be familiar to recent Duke alumni or even not so recent Duke alumni. And then one following Tyrese Proctor around campus. We got to see a few views of some alums who were back in town to to work out. Some NBA guys, Jason Tatum, uh, Mark Williams, Paulo Bancaro, who were on campus recently to do workouts. We saw a lot of footage of the team sort of palling around. We saw, as I mentioned, uh, all the graduate with student transfers who all came from very good schools uh, going to uh, going to some of their introductory classes in the uh, in the Masters of Management Studies program that they're all in at the Fuqua School of Business right across the street from Cameron Indoor. So, uh, Donald, I'm going to let you go first here. Uh, give me some of your highlights from all of the fun behind the scenes stuff that we got to see from the team this week. Well, it's funny. I think the first one is the fact that they went to Fuqua. Like, that's not something you see from videos of this nature where they go to the graduate schools and it's not like these three guys are the first guys taking graduate classes in the history of duke basketball but it's great that they are able to take those and kind of highlight them um and, and give kind of the background of hey it's not just you're going to the Bryan center and you're going to west campus and you're going to the broadhead student union to eat these guys are on a 
completely different track. And I, I like the fact that despite those three guys kind of being in a separate world from the rest of their teammates, that they've been able to gel all summer. That's a very great accomplishment to get those three guys and highlight, hey, how this schedule is going to be a little bit different for them and how they kind of have been through the motions, but they're still in the new surroundings for for the three of them. And then also at the same time, be able to bring that back to how they interact with their teammates. And it's not just like you have the freshman click and the graduate click. All those guys are one. So I thought that was really cool. Um, the second thing that I had was Tyrese Proctor, uh, the video that they had on him. I talked about a, a few episodes ago. I asked, basically said Duke Blue Planet do something on Tyrese Proctor because he's new and it's great to kind of get people familiar with this new guy that just stepped foot on campus a couple months after everybody else well they did a great job with it um first of all he has a very Aussie accent Jack Weiss accent was a very Aussie accent this one might eclipse that there's no there's no mistaking that Tyrese Proctor is from Australia I really love that from the Tim Tams like yo um I don't know if you've been to Australia guys before Tim Tams are a thing in Australia. They are a way of life and they're actually good. Unlike Vegemite. So, uh, and Marmite, it's not, it's not something that you, they bring over here and we're like, no, send that back. Tim Tams are actually really good. So, uh, the fact that he had loaded up on Tim Tams, I thought was really funny. Um, but just again, him getting acclimated to life in, in, you know, life here at Duke and also just interacting with his teammates, I thought was really cool. This team seems really bonded. And I think, a summer together will do that. But also again, him being able to jump in a couple months late and still have that integration, I think is really, really awesome. So uh, first of all, we should worth, we should mention that the three guys getting an MMS at Fuqua are Kale Catchings, Ryan Young and Max Johns. Um, and Scott Rich, uh, who posts on the DBR boards is a great, fabulous poster. He also, writes for the Duke basketball report front page every now and then he pointed out, and I thought this was really wise. And I, I'm going to spread this gospel of Scott rich here. He pointed out that the Duke blue planet video was a secret recruiting tool. Um, maybe not so secret, but if you really think about what this video was, the first half of the video was look at all the fun, the freshmen are having, not just the Duke basketball freshmen, but just all the freshmen taking their, you know, freshman class photo and moving in and, you know, meeting everybody and all that other kind of stuff looked like it was really fun to be a freshman. And then the second half of the video was look at how these guys are, are, are really, you know, building their careers at Fuqua and, and focused on the graduate guys. These are the two twin areas that Duke basketball recruits. We get stud, in the freshmen, third one. stud high schoolers and, and we get, you know, guys going to grad school who are, you know, one year transfers for the most part. And, and the third I, I one, I love that observation. The third, you, you missed the third one. The third one, and we've seen this before. The third one is look at all the alums that come back. Look how cool it is that it's so cool to be a Duke that all alums just come back. You're right. Just, yep. just flow in every single day. And it was very funny. We're like, I think Tyrese was like, oh, yeah, that was a great practice. We, you know, we just kind of played with RJ Barrett and, and Cam Reddish and, and a couple other guys. And you're just like, wait, stop. What? They're at practice? Like, like yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah, that was a very subtle, like, hey, not only is it cool to be here, it's also cool to come back after you've left for the NBA. He also played with Deuce Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum's son. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Deuce, Deuce was like, what is going on here? <laughs> we got Deuce video, so the, the video already is A+. The, Jason, you and Donald, both of you sort of mentioned the the how cool it is to, to be there and all the different aspects of Duke life. I had... Uh, flashbacks, not just to the to them walking around the halls of the business school and like going to class and learning basic economic concepts, which uh, which I also got to experience not not too long ago. But but longer ago, uh, I specifically remember being on East Campus and moving into the dorms and and doing that uh, that freshman orientation activity where they get all the students together and they and they spell out the number of their class year. Uh, and they bring and they bring a lot of people like the like the athletics coaches and other administrators in to sort of herd the the event. It, it's one of the most fun, uh, unique things that Duke basketball does and or the, or the Duke University does. And uh, I, I remember that moment getting to just like meet all these, you know, all these new people um, and, and being on East Campus for it. It's something that not every school does. And you can see, as in many aspects of of Duke campus life that the basketball players are, you know, they're, they're just there. 
they're, you know, there might be more cameras taking pictures of them, but they are in that class and they're in that class photo. Yeah, I liked, I, I just, uh, people, listeners can't see this, but I showed Jason and Sam my photo from the class 2004 when we did the same thing uh, on East Campus. It's it's one of those great traditions, right? Like we all, anyone who's been to Duke has gone through it, um, but it's a really cool thing where for at least one night you're, you know, your whole class is together and you spelled out and like you can, everyone knows where they were in their class year photo, right? They know, hey, for me, like I was on the two, right? Like, or I was in the, someone was in the zero, someone's on the four. They all know where it is. So it's a real cool thing to be a part. And I'm glad they highlighted that because it's a, you, I don't know many other schools that are able to do that, um, but also that they do it so well, whereas one of the highlights of your orientation week is to be a part of that photo. Before we wrap up on basketball topics and get to football, very quickly, Jason, I know you wanted to highlight some of the stuff we heard from Coach John Shire in his opening press conference that happened a few days ago, opening for the season. So first opportunity for members of the media to come and talk to the players and the coaches this season. So what did we learn? Well, first of all, we learned that John Shire has uh, learned from the master Coach K about coach speak. He did not reveal a great deal in his first news conference, <laughs> uh, which is fine. I mean, we 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 expect as much. Um, he, he did say that Drake Whitehead is on schedule, perhaps even a little bit ahead of schedule in his recovery. Um, and and we saw footage this week of of Whitehead on the court um, in practice clothes, doing a little bit of shooting, but not jumping. Um, I think, you know, the word is he's kind of out of his boot at this point, um, you know, still wears it sometimes, but also doesn't wear it sometimes. It sounds like, though, the recovery for for Whitehead is going very well. Whitehead says he's been doing some underwater treadmill kind of work um, in an effort to stay in shape. Uh, you know, that's you know, you can get a little bit of cardio that way while not, um, you know, necessarily putting a ton of, of weight on the on the injured foot. But it definitely sounds like. Um, uh, Drake Whitehead will be back sooner rather than later. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if he is able to play in Duke's first regular season basketball game. I don't know if he'll be a starter yet. His limit his minutes may be a little bit limited, but I would expect you know certainly by the end of November we are going to have uh, Drake Whitehead probably at full strength, and that's that's great news to hear. Um, Shire mentioned that there that Duke is sort of yet to have their full group on the floor very much, and it's not just Drake Whitehead. He said Derek Lively. And some of the other folks have had some bumps and bruises that have kept them from full practice availability. And, and you know, this sort of harkens back to what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast about that scrimmage footage and it not seeming too advanced. I think they just haven't had time to really get themselves together. But then I thought the most significant thing that Shire said was, he said, this is going to be a defensive team. He said they're going to use their length to protect the paint and that he thinks they can put multiple guys out there who are very switchable who are all capable of passing and shooting and defending and doing a little bit of everything. And, um, you know, he really said it, it, it starts with Duke's defense, uh, which I thought was a, a very telling comment from him. And then the last thing was he mentioned that, uh, that they've been doing some breathing exercises, something called the Wim Hof breathing exercise that was introduced to the team by Mike Posner, who, um, it, it, you know, very, very successful musician and artist. Mike Posner apparently was in school with John Shire. They knew each other. And um, Posner has introduced the team to this Wim Hof breathing exercise. And Shire says it's it's helping everybody. So that's interesting. You saw that in the Duke Blue Planet video. They talked about uh, that little exercise that they did. So they did highlight that a little bit um, is more. They were just kind of like laying on the floor of Cameron and staring up into the ceiling while doing these breathing exercises slash, you know, meditation type of uh, deal. All right. Very cool. We will be back, of course, to, to talk about more uh, Duke basketball video and audio breakdown as that stuff comes out right now. Guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we need to talk about how Duke is back in the driver's seat uh, against UVA in football, which is awesome. And they're one and oh in the ACC. So we'll be back with football stuff. Stick around. As we mentioned before the break, 
Duke was able to open its ACC football season and bounce back from its loss to Kansas with a, dare I say, a convincing victory against an ACC opponent that... Very convincing. That the Blue Devils... Yeah. That the, the, the Blue Devils had struggled against. I mean, Duke had struggled against basically every ACC team in the last couple of years. But even stretching before that, Duke has had trouble uh, besting the Virginia Cavaliers. Not yesterday at Wallace Wade Stadium. Duke runs away from UVA 38 to 17. The Blue Devils were dominant in the first half. Actually, a very similar uh, sort of game to Duke's other victories from earlier this season, where Duke is able to get out to a convincing lead and then maybe, you know, take their foot off the gas, maybe make a few uh, sort of quirky errors in the second half and and let the other team sort of flirt with coming back. But this one, not as close as Duke's win against Northwestern. The final score again was 38 to 17. Jason, give me your quick reaction to uh, the Blue Devils opening ACC victory, their first ACC victory in almost two years against Virginia. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Duke had a 13-game ACC losing streak that we that we snapped, and it, it's worth noting this is largely the same personnel that Duke had last year. They just it feels like they have been energized. It feels like they have a new confidence. Um, I, I I think on offense they're they're running much more creative plays than I saw a year ago. There's a lot of you know putting Riley Riley Leonard in. Um, you know, moving him around and then making passes. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing is the offensive line is opening holes and the offensive line is keeping teams from getting close to Leonard. Uh, Virginia, to me, wanted to be physical with Duke. And in response, Duke just mashed them on the offensive line. Uh, we ended up rushing for 248 yards in this game. That's a huge, almost 250. That's a huge number. We averaged more than five yards per rush virginia on the other hand only got 93 yards rushing we outrushed them by you know more than 150 yards news flash you're going to win <laughs> if you outrush a team by 150 yards you're almost certainly going to win that game and i just thought you know duke's ability to handle virginia's physicality duke's ability ability to to out physical virginia in a very big way to me was the story of the game. I mean, we got out to that lead and whenever Virginia thought they were going to maybe try and creep back into this, we would just pound, pound, pound the ball down their throat and go get another touchdown. And then uh, the last thing is Duke was the worst team in all of division one football. I, I think at least among major conference teams at turnover margin last year. And we're among the best this year that Virginia had two turnovers. We had none. Uh, that doesn't even count. The fact that on special teams we were like blocking kicks and having great returns and you like Duke dominated all three phases of the game. We dominated on offense. We dominated on defense with our takeaways, and we dominated on special teams. That's how you win a game by twenty-one points against an ACC opponent. Period. End of story. Mike Elko is probably thinking, "Wow, this ACC thing is not 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 as bad as everyone thought it would be." Um, but yeah, it's it, again. I go back to the beginning of the season when Jim Sumner, when he was on our show, he talked about how the players and the coaching staff said, we want them to be confident that they can win every week. And we're seeing that confidence on the field. They're playing. They're not playing with fear. They're not playing, looking over the shoulder to think they may be replaced or that. Oh no. Uh, the, some of the uh, things that we saw last year are creeping back. They're putting, they're putting their heads forward again, even in the loss last week against Kansas. I saw a team that was confident all the way to the final whistle that they could win the ball game. But now that confidence was shifted yesterday to we took the lead and we're going to keep the lead and we're not going to give it up. We're going to continue to run the ball down their throat. We're going to continue to make great plays on defense. We're going to continue to have great field position because of our special teams. And I think that was that's a market difference from last year. These guys, like you could see the confidence on the field and is carrying into the locker room. They they all feel great about themselves, and they want to keep that winning feeling going. Um, the next week, I know Jason is going to be at the game. Uh, they go they go to Atlanta to face Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech just beat Pitt on the road, um, which is a pretty big feat for them. So they're feeling confident too. But our guys, I love what I'm seeing for them in the confidence factor because 
sometimes that can overcarry, overtake a lot of different things, and that can help you win the day if you feel confident about yourself and you go out and execute. They're feeling confident. They're executing on offense and defense and special teams, and that's why they won that ball game last night. Donald, you failed to mention in the recap of Georgia Tech and Pitt that the big storyline is that Georgia Tech had just fired their head coach a few right. days before the Pitt game <laughs> and athletic so, director. <laughs> so might be yeah, might be a uh, might be an opportunity for Duke to take advantage of a bit of a hangover from uh, from Georgia Tech after after beating a ranked Pitt team uh, a few days after installing an interim head coach. It, it was yeah, I mean that part right there again. These guys are going to feel confident. But yeah, Duke has the opportunity to go down on a road and on the road and play well. And even though Georgia Tech just beat Pitt, and yes, they have their their issues, I still think they're ripe for the picking. I think this team can go down there and get a win at Bobby Dodd Stadium. So let's see if they can do it. And going back to the Virginia game, Jason, one of the things you talked about was Duke's ability in the second half to you know run the ball, milk the clock. Uh, and and just make the plays they needed to make, not not go a little too crazy. Uh, I don't think that this Duke offense is built to um, to make a, a bunch of huge plays during the game. But what they were good at was getting chunk yardage out of out of running plays, making smart, you know, shorter throws, and and letting the wide receivers sort of find open spaces to to make a five yard catch into a fifteen yard catch. We saw a lot of that yesterday, and that gives me a lot of hope. That you know, Duke is not Duke is not trying too hard on offense to to make things happen. The offensive line was really strong yesterday and and made um, you know made UVA's rushing attack, uh, which had been very good, not seem so strong. Uh, and and uh, I I just like the way that the offense is not is not having to work too hard to get good yardage and and burn clock in the second half. You know, and by the way, we we didn't talk enough about Duke. Duke's defensive line batting down passes. It was unreal. How many They're playing times, volleyball out there? Um, the number of times we got our hands on the on a pass was was just crazy. I, Brendan Armstrong, the Virginia quarterback, who's a really good quarterback, one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC, he was 19 of 37 on the game. Uh, dude barely hit 50% of his passes. And a lot of that is because there had to be at least five, maybe seven balls that the Duke defensive line got their hands on. I can't believe that none of them ended up, you know, flying up in the air and turning into interceptions. Um, you know, you would expect that to happen, but it it was just a sign of of how well this Duke team is playing on on every aspect, every side of the ball. Uh, you know, it, it's so easy to focus on the offensive stats. The defensive stats don't jump out to you in the same way. But I just thought the Duke's defense was outstanding. I mean, in a game where, yeah, you know, I think we had one sack. It it felt like our defensive line was dominating um, the Virginia defense. We did have seven tackles for loss, which is a a, a big deal. Um, it, Duke's defense to me was outstanding. I mean, Virginia got seventeen points, but it it felt like anytime we needed to stop them, we could. Yeah, and uh, going back to the offense, I, I think, again, the, sh- shout out to the offensive line as well. You just credited the defensive line. I'm going to credit the offensive line for this reason. Uh, you mentioned the rushing and how great we were and efficient we were rushing the football. As you know, Jason, second and three is way better than second and eight or second and nine. And we had a lot of you know first downs that turned into first and tens that turned into second and three or second and two. Just because that offensive line was pushing and they were able to let our office or our running backs just go wild. And because of that, it it changed. I mean, football is one of those games where the the odds change every single play of what you can do. And having a shorter field makes it where a lot of these plays, they, they were able to try some things, right? They were able to maybe run on second down because they knew they could do it. And having that first down and, and just having, you know, six, seven, eight, nine yards on first down plays really helped this offensive you know, flow because they were able to maybe take some shots um, knowing that they could go back to the running game on third down and get the first down and then try all over again. But I will say the longest play of the day was on offense and it was a running back. It was a 59 yard rush. That is incredible. And that shows that the offensive line came to work yesterday. And I really want to shout them out. 
I'm super excited to go to that Georgia Tech game next week to hear from Duke players and coaches after the game, uh, you know, about how things went and how they feel the season is going. Uh, This is a team, they've already got four wins. They will likely be favored in at least three of their remaining ACC games, you know, unless the wheels start to come off. This Duke team is going to be favored, and Duke's going to be considered competitive with every single team they play on their ACC schedule. You know, based on the way they played so far, there's, I, I think this team is absolutely going bowling. And I want to be very clear. If someone tells you that they thought this Duke team was a bowl team in the preseason, they're probably lying to you. Other than the guys in that locker room, other than that coaching staff, there is no one who thought this Duke team would be even close to as good as it has been. And just a huge hat tip to Mike Elko. I, I'm I'm super impressed at how he's turned around this program overnight. I I absolutely think they've got four wins. I'll be stunned if this team doesn't win six or seven games, maybe even more than that, and gets to a bowl. Jason, I I, I appreciate your optimism. I don't know if Duke is winning more than three games the rest of this season, but uh, we'll, we'll certainly see. I would be very excited to just to have Duke be getting back to a bowl this season. It seems like it would be uh, a great accomplishment for for Mike Elko. I mean, if they're if they're winning three or four more ball games, they're in contention for things like division titles and ACC title games. Um, that would be a remarkable achievement in any year. But given it's Mike Elko and his coaching staff's first year, uh, I'm not expecting that. But one can dream. Well, look, they're they're absolutely going to be favored at Georgia Tech. They're going to be favored at home against Virginia. Virginia Tech's bad. They're going to be favored at home in both those games. So that's two. I would expect I can't imagine they won't be competitive with with Boston College and with North Carolina and probably with Miami. Pitt and Wake both look pretty good, although Pitt lost to Georgia Tech, so they could beat Wake looks really I was good. gonna say that North North Carolina really uh really took it to Virginia Tech yesterday. To your point, if Virginia Tech is really bad, then I don't know how much that means. But UNC is uh is probably a, a pretty strong team this season. I, look I, again. I'm I'm looking at the schedule. I'm seeing at least two, maybe three games that Duke is going to be favored in, and I think they're going to be competitive in pretty much all these games. Uh, Wake is the Wake is the one that that I worry about the most. I think Wake, uh, Wake, Wake is good. Wake's really good. Wake almost beat Clemson. Wake's really good. Uh, yeah, that was a that that was probably the the most fun game in the ACC yesterday, other than the the Georgia Tech and Pitt game, which was unexpectedly. Uh, fun and exciting. So, all right, guys. I, I, I will know it real quick in the ACC. Clemson, um, the Clemson NC State game, I thought was really good. But I also, um, Clemson, you rushed the field after being favored and beating NC State at home. I, I think y'all need to pump breaks on that. No, Donald, uh, you you must not be familiar with the uh, Clemson tradition. They run the fe- they run to the onto the field after every game. So, um, <laughs> while while I would like to participate in the mocking of other uh, ACC schools fans. Uh, <laughs> that is the Clemson tradition. I've been on the field. Uh, I've not been to a Duke at Clemson game, but I've been to a Clemson football game. And uh, everyone runs onto the field after the game, regardless of the outcome. This is just, for some reason, how it works in uh, in that's, South Carolina. That's wild to me. I, it's funny. I watch a lot of Clemson games. I have never seen that, especially yeah, you when they're if playing. You don't linger at the end of the game. Uh, yeah, it's not like they're like, this. I mean, are they doing against like the, you know, South doesn't Carolina matter. States of the world. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I saw. I, I stand corrected. I was at Clemson a few years ago for a bachelor party to see them host Boston College. They and this was during like near the peak of of Clemson's powers. Uh, they waxed Boston College and everyone ran on the field after the game. So this was the this was the explanation that I got from some of the locals. Interesting. They may yeah. have to change that one. We'll we'll, yeah, we'll let them look. we'll have it whatever yeah I, I, look I'm I'm not here to I'm not here to mock other schools' football traditions you know there are certain things Fair. you can get away with here uh, I'm not doing that so all right guys I think that is it for this episode Jason let looks me do, like he want, he has one more thing he wants to say let me do this, super quick just because we spent a lot of time talking about this the other day I've spent some time thinking about the this NBA one and done the the fact that people say the NBA one and done may be going away in 2024. Um, there's just been a lot of chatter about this and how this is going to change college basketball and college recruiting and stuff like that. I, I did a little bit of a deep dive on something. I'm going to explain to everyone out there. If you, if you aren't aware of this, um, the NBA and the players association may decide to get rid of the one and done rule. 
I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to do it for the 2024 draft or the 2025 draft. It's going to be further on down the line. And here is why. I went ahead and looked at all the teams in the NBA who had either traded a first-round draft pick or were engaged in a potential pick swap, meaning another team can sort of get your first-round pick, you know, switch, switch places with you. Because when the NBA does this one-and-done thing, um, it's going to create a super draft. There's going to be one year where you're going to have all the guys who would normally be in the draft, and you're also going to have probably, I don't know, 8, 10, 15 high schoolers who will declare immediately for the draft, who will be very good prospects, guys who are likely first-rounders. So you create a one-year super draft. And the reason this is significant is that if you're an NBA team and you've already traded away your draft pick for what's going to be a super draft, you don't want the super draft to be that year. (laughs) Ain't no way. Like if you traded your 2024 pick and the NBA goes, hey, we think in 2024 we're going to create this draft that's going to have like tons of great players, first-round picks, super valuable. You're going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no way. I already traded my 2024 pick. I It can't happen in 2024. So I looked. Are you ready for the I won't even name all the teams because there's so many of them. There are 15 teams in 2024 in the NBA who have either traded their first-round pick or could get it swapped with another team. <laughs> there's no way those 15 teams are going to vote for a 2024 Super Draft. In 2025, there's 17 teams who have traded away their first-round pick or are in, involved in a pick swap who will not approve a 2025 end to the one and done thing. I think that if the NBA goes ahead and does this, you won't see it take effect until like maybe 2028, 2029, maybe 2030, because they don't want that. It it has to be a year where teams go, okay, I know about my draft capital that year. And I, I, you know, I know what I'm going to do with it. and, And I haven't already traded it away. So I just want to really quick tell everybody out there, do not expect the one and done thing to go away immediately. If they vote for it to go away, it will be in a future draft, probably one far enough out so that there won't be a lot of picks already traded. All done. Two quick things. One, I don't think they're, they may be looking at not necessarily the number of picks they have, but the players that are available or that would be available down the line. And maybe that's why they're looking at 2024 because that is supposed to be a pretty heralded high school class that where a lot of them could go pro. And the second thing is I I just don't think that everyone understands that just because players can go directly to the NBA doesn't mean that they're going to be still some one and done lingering around there. I don't think it's fully done yet, but I do think over time we will start to get more guys going because that first one, like you said, is going to be a super draft and and there's going to be a bunch of people out there who are going to be test cases and, other people are just going to kind of linger the wings, kind of see how that first one goes, and that'll kind of spur how the rest of them go. I do think they rip the Band-Aid off sooner rather than later, though. Well, we will see what happens. And Jason, I, I think your your point is valid that the, the value of these picks is going to change dramatically uh, depending on exactly who's in or who's out of a given draft. Let's leave it there. We will be back certainly after Duke takes on Georgia Tech next week because Jason is going to be on site for that one uh we are now just a couple of weeks away from countdown to craziness so we we will be doing more of that preview stuff as i mentioned last week so stick around for that the episode counts hopefully are going to be increasing over the next few weeks so that we're uh we're we're, we the podcast are in shape for basketball season as much as the players and the coaches are so for jason evans and for donald wine i am sam klein stay in touch with us dbrpodcast at gmail.com that's where you send us all the good stuff all the bad stuff just send directly to Jason we will talk to you again very soon Duke Band take us home that video is not public like I know it was a YouTube link but it's it's not a YouTube YouTube link link. okay no So we need to talk about it in general terms, not like, hey, in this video at minute three, we let's talk about what they did on this play. It's more 100%. about the general flow. Yeah. Okay. Right. All, all, all my notes are very ge- Yeah. No, I would. I was thinking about that from the start. You can't go, hey, and at the three minute mark, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. No, my like, notes Or did are you very... see that dunk that he did? Because technically, mm-hmm. we're just kind of looking in general. Okay. We're on the right. same page. Okay.
I, I do think that now, obviously we're not going to mention his name, but we should, we should say, look, this is the kind of great stuff that our audience occasionally brings to us. Um, you know, and re, you know, without mentioning my name, we should be very thankful and say, and, and in fact, I think like the Tylus episode is like the secret scrimmage video or something like that. Um, we should, this, this is a look at the team that our audience has not gotten that we need to really share with them. Right. Yeah. Breaking down the raw on the actual raw uncut. Yeah. This is, this is <laughs> seriously raw uncut. <laughs> more raw, more yeah. raw, more. Uh, uncut. <laughs> It's time to expect more from urgent care, like caregivers who take time to listen, smooth access to local specialty care if you need it, virtual visits and save your spot convenience, plus easy access community locations. And we're open 365 days a year to treat your sprains, cuts, fever, and flu. Northwell Health Go Health Urgent Care. Get more than you expect and exactly what you need. Welcome to a new era in urgent care. 